There's a question up on the screen. What is the central chapter of the Bible? Has anybody ever heard that question before? Physically, the, the, if you started from each end and went chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter to the very center of the Bible, what is it? I'm sorry, it's in Psalms. What, he said Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 8. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say that that is, that is exactly what everyone says and that is not correct. And it's not that you're wrong, it's just that you're wrong. <laughs> it's Psalm 117. Okay? Now, the way this works is from Genesis chapter 1 through Psalms 116, there's 594 chapters. From Psalm 118 to Revelation 22, there's 594 chapters. So that makes Psalm 117 the central chapter in the Bible. What's the central verse in Psalm 117? Here you go. There are only two verses in Psalm 117. So there is no central verse. So that means you have to take the whole chapter, and there it is on the screen. Let's read it together. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now, this is the central message of the Bible. And that was a cute little game. Okay, because I can manipulate all I want and come up with answers. Like, like you said, Psalm 118, verse 8. If you go on to the internet, I know. If you go into Psalm, if you go on to, if you go on to the internet and you do a Google search and say, what is the central verse of the Bible? You will come up with Psalm 118a. Because that's what, but what is 118a? Do you have it? Open. It's better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in men. And it's a great statement. And it's a, that's a true statement. And that, that it's something you should base your life on. But the reality is, it's not the central verse of the Bible, even though people will say it's the central verse of the Bible. Now, why do I even bring any of this up? Because... This little game is actually a real thing, okay? Finding the central point in any literature, any, any kind of writing, is ancient. It's an ancient form of formatting prose and or formatting poetry. It's called chiastic structure. Let me read it to you. Let me show it to you. Goodness sakes. Chiastic structure. Chi Astic structure. The first three letters of that word chiastic are the Greek, come from the Greek chi, C-H-I, chi. And what is the Greek letter chi? It looks like an X. Okay? So this idea is where two lines intersect, that central point is the most important point of the writing. Now you'll notice in the middle of the screen, 
It says A, B, X, A. What does that mean when you're talking about chiastic structure? I'm sorry? It means that the author of whatever piece of literature you're looking at has structured their writing so that the first sentence, A, and the last sentence, A. Now, it may not be saying exactly the same thing, but it says something that's like a mirrored statement to it. It could even also be an opposite statement. It could be, you know, this is, you know, this is white, this is black. This is, you know, but, but it, it talks, but it's, it's a mirrored thing. And then B would be correlating to B. And you can go on further and say C and D and E. And then finally, in the central point is the chi, the X, the central point of the writing. Now, this is not a game. This is something that is ancient. Ancient Hebrew, ancient Arabic, ancient Greek writers, Shakespeare did it. And it is still even used today in modern times. Let me show you. 1961, was it? I was too young to remember this. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. This is a chiastic statement. This is known as a chiasm. Okay? Let me show you. <clears throat> Ask not what you, your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Country, in this short sentence, is the A portion of this chiasm. You is the U portion of the chiasm. And in this particular statement, there is no central word or point. It's simply a whole thing, but it is still a chiasm. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And what is the central point of this statement? Well, no, but, but, but what do you get from this? What do you understand the speaker trying to say to you? Service. Service. So, for all intents and purposes, you could put in the word service in that X. Okay? Or selflessness. Or patriotism. Whatever, whatever is speaking to you, whatever message is coming to you, would go into that X. Because they didn't specifically give you... An, another, here's another one. This is a little bit older. By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Benjamin Franklin. By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. What would be the central point or central theme of this, idea, of this thought? Preparation. Preparation. Intentionality. Whatever you sense him saying to you. But by failing to prepare, you are preparing. This is a chiasm written by Benjamin Franklin. The thing that's interesting, as I said, chiastic structure is not necessarily just one sentence. It can be a thought. So the ABXBA, or the ABCXCBA, or the ABCDXDCBA, as long as there's a mirroring, it can be considered a chiasm. Okay? Now, this, as I said, was a practice in poetry and prose in ancient Hebrew and Greek and Arabic cultures. So, if we have a Bible that was written in Greek or written in um, uh, Hebrew, which ours was, 
It is likely, since it was common in that culture, that the authors of these books would have used chiastic structure to bring about their point. One of the things that's really, really cool, we don't have time to look at it this morning, and whether or not it was intentional or whether it's just a serendipity, you can find a chiastic structure in the book of Revelation, which was written in Greek. And the chiastic structure, the central point, the central, the chi for it is the devil gets defeated. That's a pretty cool story, cool, cool thought for the end times. The book of the end times. The central point, the devil gets defeated. I don't, again, I don't know that that is something that, uh, that is real or if that was just somebody's idea, but this is, the, the whole point of this is I wanted to bring this out and help you understand what chiastic structure is, that it is not just a game, it's not just playing around with the words, but this is a real ancient thing. Shakespeare used it in his writings, um, and the Bible does indeed have this, and so we're going to be looking today at Isaiah chapter 44 specifically, but we'll be a little bit in 43 through, through most of 44, okay? And I have it up on the screen the chiasm for, for this portion of Scripture. And not every section of Scripture is chiastic, okay? But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a chiasm, okay? If you want to take the time to look at that later on. 1 Corinthians 13, you can look at it and identify the A's and the B's and the C's all the way down to the X, to the chi. But this section, Isaiah 43, verse 22 through Isaiah 44, verse 23, forms a lengthy chiasm. There's 30 chapter, uh, thirty verses here. And we are going to take the time this morning to read through it. But we're not going to read through it linearly. We're going to look at the A's, then we're going to look at the B's, then we're going to look at the C's, then we're going to look at the chi. Okay? So, in, in, my, uh, in my Bible online, my, my iPad, what I've done is I've highlighted the A with the purple. So you see this section is the purple. And then we come back to purple at the end. And then after the purple, I've got orange. So I've got this, these verses. The, the B is in orange. And then again, the B is in orange at the end. And then the C is in yellow on both sides of the chi. And then the chi is green. Okay? So, obviously, you can't see that while I'm reading it, but I wanted you to just know. Again, the reason I'm sharing this with you is this is a, this is a, a cool way to, to spend some time in the Scriptures. To do some investigation for yourself and see, can you identify chiastic structure in the Scriptures? Because it's all over the place. I mean, if you, if you go online and Google it, they'll give you a whole list of different chapters and verses to look at. But just for your own personal study and your own education, see if you can identify this is, is this a chiasm? And if so, where are the mirrored statements? And then finally, what is the central point? What is the chi? So let's look at verses 22 of Isaiah 43. And we're going to read through uh, chapter 43, verse 28. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob. Oh, before we do this. Remember that this prophetic writing is written to the nation of Israel after the Babylon, or during the Babylonian exile. Okay, this was written before the Babylonian exile took place, but it was written to the time period of while they were in, the, while they were in exile in Babylon. 
And the writing was not just to the, 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 the Israelites, but it was also to their captors. Okay? So God is saying through the prophet, Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep or burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me... You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Let Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Now, let's look at the other A statement, which is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 23. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. And so we see that God was saying, I am your salvation. I am your redeemer. I will bring about. And then at the end of this chiasm, we see that it is being declared. All of nature needs to sing God's praise because he went ahead and did it. He brought about their redemption. Now working at the B statement. But here, but now hear, O Jacob, my servant, whom Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, you fo- who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And I will pour my spirit upon my, your offering and my blessings upon your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. The other will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. And then the other B statement, Isaiah 44, verses 21 through 23. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And then finally, the, 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 the C statements. And I'm just going to read all the way through. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let them declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? You are my witnesses. And skipping over, verse 9 now. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know, that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all the companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with a plane and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man and the beauty of a man to dwell in the house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak tree, and he lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it, and then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself, and he kindles a fire and bakes bread, and also he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. 
Over the, over the half he eats meat and roasts it and is satisfied. And also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol. And he falls down to it and he worships it and he prays to it and says, Deliver me for you are my god. And they know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, and I also baked bread on its coals, and I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And then finally, what is the central point, the chi of this whole thing? Uh, the last part of verse 8. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. And we don't have time this morning because we've just spent almost 15 minutes just talking about structure and looking at the different words of structure. I wanted to give this to you so you could go home this week and just chew on this for yourself. But the point is, is that God... Intent, the writer of this, uh, uh, the prophet who wrote this down after the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, used chiastic structure to point to this one central thought that there is only one God. His name is Jehovah. And the people who he was writing to, number one, the people who were lost, had been taken from their land, who were in exile, are now amongst this whole horde of people who don't believe like them, who don't have the same practices as them, who don't hold the same lifestyle as them, and they're having to live their godly, holy, pure lives in the midst of all of this chaos. And so there's this dynamic, this struggle that they're facing and the reminder of the word of God is, look at the people around you, O Israelites. Look at them. They're fashioning idols and worshiping to them using the same materials that they used to put, make their food. And they can't see it. It says right here in that last part of the C statement that their hearts are hardened, their eyes are covered. They had been blinded by the deceiver to not be able to understand and recognize what they're doing. How stupid this is. And you need to understand and hold fast to the fact that there is no other God but Jehovah. Period. End of discussion. And when given the opportunity, you need to stand up and speak that. And what is the prophet saying to the people who are around the Israelites through this? Because he's literally talking to them as well. He says to them, don't you get it? There is only one God. And it's not the one you've been worshiping. I will not use the name of the person because this is going to be online and anybody could listen to it. But a friend of mine just recently said, I worship God. I just call him creator. Now, my first thought was, you know, that's probably good. And then my second thought was, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. They're, they're trying to fashion a God of their own making. There is no God but Jesus. 
There is no God but the one that we worship. And you can try to manipulate your own understanding of what a God is so that you can feel comfortable and you can feel free to worship that God. But that's not going to be a, a real God. And see, that's the dynamic that we face even in our own world. I have people that I love desperately who, don't, who reject Christ, who reject the teachings of Christ. They have their own idea of what God is and they have love in their life. And believe me, they're living good, nice, holy, not really, but you know what I'm saying. They're clean people. They're good people. They're loving people. They give you the shirt off their back. They would do anything for you. But are they going to heaven? Not according to the word of God. And the dynamic is... They can't see it for themselves. Why? Just because, just like the Babylonians, their eyes have been covered. Their hearts have been hardened. They don't get it. And so, for me, the central part of this, the Kai in this, is I have a responsibility because I've already learned the truth. I need to make sure that when I come across someone who makes a statement like I just said, well, I believe in God, I just call him creator. I need to lovingly engage them. I didn't say challenge. I didn't say confront. Because they're not going to receive that. But if I lovingly come alongside them and engage them in conversation and say, help me to understand how you perceive God. Just like I did with the kids. I tried on their level to engage them in conversation. Now they're so young, they don't, they don't get that kind of stuff. They don't fully understand. I mean, Zariah was really struggling to come up with the right answer. I mean, <laughs> you can see she's like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to say, but let me come up with something that sounds good. And she came up with a great answer. She's been very well reared in the faith. But she's not ready to engage anybody on a, on a, a conversational level about her beliefs. But we should be able to. We're 30 and 40 and 50 and older. So we should be able to intelligently discuss with someone what we believe and what they believe. And not be challenged or frustrated or upset if we don't agree. We should just be able to discuss and learn from each other. And the point is, if they are willing to do that, they will learn from you. The question comes, what do you believe? I mean, we just said earlier the act of the Apostles' Creed. Do you really believe it? Have you even taken time in recent days to reflect on what it is that you truly believe? What is the central chi in your chiastic statement, if you will? What do you believe? What do you own? What will you die for? And then once you have that, and it's rock solid, talk about it with people. And again, you don't have to be, you know, slapping them across the face and beating them over the head with your, with your Bible off your coffee table. You can just engage them in conversation and let the Holy Spirit of God do the convicting. Because if you speak truth, 
It will not return void, I guarantee you. It will find a place and it will settle into their hearts and it will begin to cause a little bit of a rub for them. And they won't be able to ignore it. And they will begin to understand and see the fallacy of what they've actually been believing in. And they'll begin to see how false it is. Because what does it say in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 8d? It says, there is no other God besides God. You can't find one. Period. End of discussion. The problem is, it's not that they don't believe in God, it's that they're blinded, that their eyes have been, it's like pouring Vaseline or something over the lenses, they can't see clearly. But if you can help them, you can come alongside them, you can love them, they'll begin to understand and hear the truth. Now, in some cases, I, I, I feel checked in my spirit that I need to say this, in some cases there is a need for you to Get in somebody's face. I've done it myself in the past. I had a friend in high school that we were talking about God, and she said, she at one point she said, there's no way that God can meet this need in my life. And I started to agree with her, and all of a sudden I went, no, wait a minute, no, that's wrong. And she went, oh, I, I made you mad. I said, no, I'm not mad about, I'm not mad at you, I'm mad at this falseness that's trying to infiltrate our conversation because God has every ability, and God can meet every need in your life. And don't let that lie come out of your lips anymore. That's a lie from the pit of hell. She was a Christian. See, the enemy tries to twist and deceive to undermine our faith. And you need to guard against that. And when necessary, you need to get the cat of nine tails and overturn the tables and say, how dare you turn this house of prayer into a place of exchange? There's nothing inappropriate with in those moments being that confrontive. But for the most part, we need to be willing to just engage people in conversation. The problem is, in our culture, that opens you up for a tongue lashing from many people. And if they do, you just back off quietly and pray quietly for them. Because you, you weren't being mean-spirited and you weren't being confrontational. You were just asking a simple question. And if they can't go there, then that's okay. Back off. But the thing is, I read this, as I read through this and was chewing on it this week, I, I really was so struck by the, they can't get it. They, they take the same piece of wood, and part of it they make their God out of, and the other part they use to live their life. And they don't see how silly that is. But if you use those words, how silly that is. You're slapping them in the face. That's their belief system. But if you can say, you know what? I've never seen it like that. Because this is how I believe. Now you're not being mean-spirited and you're not slapping them in the face. You're just simply saying what you believe. And they go, really? I've never heard anybody say they believe. How could you believe that? Well, this is how I believe it. Because when I blah, 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 this is what happened. Well, really, and you're engaging in conversation. Now, I'm being sneaky, my whole motive for you, what is my kai in this? I want 150 fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ worshiping as part of this church. And the only way it's going to happen is if the sheep start recreating, procreating. And you guys are the ones that have to do that. So you need to get out and start having coffee and tea and talking to people. Intentionality. Because what did Benjamin Franklin say? 
Let me bring it back up. Failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. If you don't intentionally try to win somebody to Jesus, you'll never win somebody to Jesus. And the reality is, you are armed. You know who the enemy is. You know that he's got them totally bamboozled. You know that they're walking in falseness. You're sitting in a position of power. Not, and I don't want to sound arrogant, okay? It's not like, I'm better than you because i got Jesus in my life. But the reality is, you can look on them with compassion because they're so blind. If you had a friend who was literally, physically blind, and they were walking towards a pit, you would help them to avoid that pit, wouldn't you? You wouldn't stand there and watch as they fell into it and then laugh and chuckle because they fell into the pit. You'd run up and help them to avoid it. Same thing. Engaging in conversation, speaking truth into their lives, helping them to see it from your perspective and let the Holy Spirit be the one to do the convicting. And eventually, you will be given the free, the privilege of harvesting. And then we'll start the process of discipling. But before we can disciple, there has to be birth. Before there can be birth, there has to be that conversation. And they won't listen to me because I get paid to do it. They will listen to you because you're in relationship with them and you're their friend anyway. And they know you wouldn't be doing it to harm them. So, let's pray.